Please be seated. And you will, if you will turn with me in your Bibles to Mark chapter 10, we'll be looking at verses 32 through 52. If you're using a pew Bible, it's found on page 1002. Last week when we uh, looked at the earlier verses in Mark chapter 10, we saw that we are tempted to tell God to stay out of our business. But it's Jesus himself who demands a response to his commands. This week, we're going to be looking at a text where two people demand a response from Jesus, and we're going to see the response he gives and that what he calls us to do and the title that we're called to take. So this is a reading from God's Word, Mark 10, 32 through 52. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way, and the disciples were astonished, while those who followed were afraid. Again, he took the twelve aside and told him what was going to happen to him. We are going up to Jerusalem, he said, and the Son of Man will be betrayed by the chief priests and teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles, who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later he will rise. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. You don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared. When the ten heard this, they became indignant with James and John. Jesus called them together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. Then they came to Jericho. As Jesus and the disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, that is, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and said, Call him. So they called to the blind man, Cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. The blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that we can come to Jesus crying out for mercy that we can go to him and say, I need your help. We pray that we are able to look through this passage and understand that we are servants. We are not rulers. We are not ones to ask Jesus for our own glory to be dis on display, but instead his, that we are to serve him all our days of our lives, and that we are, we are to point people to him. We pray for your mercy and for your comfort and for your peace. In your name, amen. There's a... Uh, TV show called uh, Undercover Boss, 
And what it is is it's um, CEOs of companies or, or people in upper management of companies um, who go undercover and go into entry-level positions of their companies. So for example, a CEO might take um, a job as a truck driver or a um, retail clerk. And what they do is they basically will go undercover to figure out the problems of the company, maybe uh, to hear about uh, the retailers and how they're doing or maybe how stock's getting shipped around. And so they put on the wig, they put on the prosthetics, and they look completely different and they go undercover. And the episodes that are fun to watch are the ones where you get to see the CEOs realize how much work these entry-level employees are doing and that they humble themselves and say, wow, I, I didn't know how hard this was. I didn't realize being a truck driver in my own company waking up at 3 a.m. is that difficult. And you see them humbled and they go back to their headquarters and they say, we need to make changes, we need to do better. Let us, let us work for these people who are my entry-level employees. And they humble themselves. And we know on the opposite end, we have some CEOs that you, you watch and you go, I don't think this experience changed them that much. They get upset with what the entry-level employees are doing. They blame other people and they kind of go back and they probably go back to their office and say, do what I say. Get this done. I'm upset. And then you have the entry-level employees that you love to watch, the ones who they're getting paid minimum wage, but they're putting their heart and all their energy into this position, and they're saying, I am doing everything I can because I love working for this company, I love this position, I want to do my best. And then you have some entry-level employees that, that don't realize that it's the CEO undercover, and they look at him and go, whoever is running this company has no idea what's going on. It's the worst boss I've ever worked for in my life. If I was CEO, here's what I would do, I would do better. Now imagine if we were on this show with God. God, the CEO, the undercover boss who comes, immediately I hope we would be able to see how great of a boss he was, how humble he was, how he was able to take his position of power and glory and actually sacrifice it to come down to our level and to see us and enter into us and enter into fellowship with us and talk with us. And a lot of times we would think, I'm a pretty good employee. But I think we have to be honest that there's times in our lives where we would look at God in the face and say, I would be a better ruler. I would be a better boss. I would be a better CEO. Here's what I would do different. And the problem is, is that we think we would be a better CEO and that we should have a position of authority in God's kingdom and usually a position of authority over other people. Even when titles aren't assigned, even if it's not in a work situation, but in our families, in our friends, in the church, we think, I deserve glory. I deserve power. I deserve a position of respect. And we know we should be doing the opposite. And this is what we need to remember when we look at this passage. We need to remember the role that Jesus assigns in this passage. The role that he assigns is the one of servant, the one of slave for the betterment of others. And in this passage, we're going to see that Jesus is the greatest servant of all because he took the cross for our sins. So looking today, we're going to see our temptation to become rulers, but we are going to look to Jesus as the greatest ruler. And finally, we need to take the title of servant. So first, we want to be rulers. Uh, Jesus just finished sharing with the disciples that he was going to be killed, that he was going to be flogged, he was going to be betrayed, he was going to be spit on. And after that, James and John enter into a conversation with him. Jesus, we want you to do whatever we ask. 
Now, if that is not the craziest thing to start a conversation with, I mean, I don't even go to my wife and say, do whatever I ask. But that's even a crazy way to do a prayer, to start a prayer and say, go to God and say, I want you to do whatever I ask. Now, we can admit that James and John have the proper title of teacher, but soon after, they, we recognize that their hearts are actually saying, we want authority over Jesus and his actions and his power and his works. So immediately, Jesus doesn't say yes, but instead starts the process of working on their hearts. He replies, what do you want me to do for you? And their request is to sit at the right and hand, left of Jesus' hand. They're thinking thrones of power. What they want is to be in the first and second command of Jesus' new kingdom that he's been talking about for the past three years. The one in which he's talking about God's kingdom is coming. I am going to be on the throne. And they say, ah, a new kingdom. Let me be first and second, or sorry, second and third. So Jesus ever sort of sent, gently sort of hints at what this new kingdom is actually going to look like. And he says, can you drink the cup I drink? And the cup he's talking about is the one of the mocking and the spitting and the flogging. And it's almost as if James and John don't even listen. And they immediately go, yes, of course. And after declaring that it is actually the work of another, God the Father, Jesus says, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Did you catch that? Jesus is actually pointing to James and John's heart by saying, you want to do that. You want to lord over people. You want authority and power over others. That's why you're asking for this request. James and John were looking for Jesus to establish a new kingdom, one in which they would be emperors of it, one in which they would be able to sit on thrones of power and say to people, do what I say, here's my commands, serve me. They would have all the authority to make demands of the people, and the brothers were looking at the goals and desires of this world of saying, I want to be a ruler, which is the complete opposite of what Jesus was getting at, the ambition, the selfish ambition that James and John had. They want power and glory. So our question for us is, do we want to be the ruler of the universe? Would you ever go to God and say that? Would you ever go to God in a prayer and say, make me a ruler of the universe? A lot of us are thinking, I, I wouldn't be that bold. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be that daring to go to God and say, give me all the power and authority. But, but let me encourage you to examine your heart. I know there's times that I've prayed prayers that are out of selfish ambition. I know that there are times that I've maneuvered my life in such a way that I get what I want at the disadvantage of others. And James and John can be viewed as an extreme example, but I know my heart that I have a desire for power and glory and service from others for my own betterment. And at this point, you might look at your life and say, well, you know, I'm thinking right now, I can't think of a time very recently where I've done that, where I've been that blatant, when I've been that bold, when I've gone to God and said, make me a ruler. But let's go back to the passage and actually see that there's another group of people with James and John. Look back at verse 41. When the ten heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. The others were indignant, not, not that they were upset that James and John weren't being servants or being humble. 
They were indignant because they wanted the power themselves. They wanted to be rulers. We could imagine the thought process going through their head is, I'm better than those two. How dare they ask for authority over me? If anyone's going to have authority, it should be me. I'm better than them. And what the passage doesn't say is, it doesn't say that the ten said this out loud at all. It could have been simply in their heads, in the quiet of their heart, that they're saying to themselves, I'm better than them. They looked at James and John and said, how dare they think they deserve a lordship in this new kingdom? I do. So the question for us is, is maybe we don't make it blatant. Maybe we don't say out loud that I'm better than other people or that I should be the ruler or go to God and say, make me a ruler. But maybe we do it in the quiet of our hearts, and that's still sinful. That's still wrong. James and John are sitting in sin, and Jesus points them to the fact that they shouldn't be rulers at all. Uh, And we have to take time to recognize that we have a desire to rule over others. I can think about uh, this example in my own life. Just this past week, I was looking through Facebook, and I I saw someone post something that I thought was stupid. Um, And and all I thought in my head was, I go, oh my gosh, why'd you post that? At least I don't live their life. I'm better than them. I would, I would never do that. Man, they need some help. Who would post that type of thing? And it's funny to laugh about, but what was I doing? I was putting myself in a position of almost rulership over them. I was saying, I'm better than you. I get to declare judgment on you. I, if, if God was going to choose anyone to rule, it definitely wouldn't be you because of this post. It would be me because I don't post like that. And for you, maybe it's not Facebook. Maybe it's you watch the news and you look at the opposite political party and you think, how dumb is that group? If only they would listen to me. If only they would be intelligent. If only they would actually think through their actions like me. Or maybe it's just within your families. Maybe it's siblings. You look at your siblings and go, mom and dad definitely like me more. If they were going to choose anyone to take care of them, it would be me. What we're doing there is we're putting ourselves in position of rulership and authority over others. And that's what James and John are doing. It might be an extreme example, but we do it ourselves almost daily. And we, we need to avoid that. Because I don't think any of us would go to God and say, make me a ruler. I think we need to confess that we've made a mistake. And this passage has already begun to show us that we want to be rulers, but Jesus will not encourage, grant, or allow us to do that. So what we need to do is start by confessing our sin and placing ourselves before the throne of Jesus. We need to admit that we're selfish, self-seeking, wanting the honor of ourselves over others. And after this confession, we can have hearts and ears open to hear what Jesus is going to encourage James and John and the disciples and us to do. Because if, we're not, if we acknowledge that we shouldn't be rulers in, their li- in our lives, we acknowledge that we aren't the rulers of the world, then we need to acknowledge the proper ruler of this universe. And that person is Jesus Christ, and he's the greatest ruler of all time. And let's remember that Jesus shows the hearts of James and John by stating, the rulers of the world want to lord it over you. And his response is this, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must become your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. 
And whose example does he give for them to look to? It's himself. He says, For the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and offer his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is using language that they would be familiar with. The Son of Man title is actually from a prophecy in the book of Daniel. And here's what it says. Listen closely. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power over all nations and people of every language worshipped him. Jesus is claiming the Son of Man title and is reminding him, reminding them that he has been given all authority, power, and glory over every person and every tongue and every nation. So Jesus is calling James and disciples and us to recognize that we aren't rulers, but in fact, we're servants to the greatest ruler of all time, Jesus Christ. And what's amazing about Jesus' rule, it's the complete opposite of any ruler throughout history. Most rulers throughout history have the motto, do as I say, not as I do. But Jesus actually says, I'm going to do what I say, and I'm going to complete the commands even better than we can, even better than his servants. He's going to focus on humility and servant leadership because he's going to take a cross. He's going to take all our failures, all our sin, all our shame, and he's going to humble himself. He's going to give up the place of comfort of heaven and come down to us and actually serve us even though he has the rightful place, even though he's the king, even though he's the ruler, he's going to humble himself. And Jesus made himself nothing and became obedient to death on the cross. And we see that Jesus is this king, this ruler, who makes demands of his followers but actually fulfills those demands for them. Jesus used his power to save humanity from everlasting torment and separation from God. Jesus is willing to become a servant and sacrifice and become a ransom so that we can be free, that we can have a relationship with God. And if we recognize our sinful desires as rulers, then we can look to the greatest ruler of all time, Jesus Christ, who does what he says and fulfills what he says. He fulfills the law. Jesus being the only ruler that we need to surrender to. It's not that we're going to have multiple rulers. It's not that we have multiple disciples to follow. It's one. It's the greatest king of all time. He is the, this, his commands are the only commands that we need to obey. We don't need to look to multiple sources for ruler and authority, but we get to look to Jesus. And what's cool is when he calls us as servants, he actually takes the place of a servant as well. He, he takes our pain, he takes our punishment, and he saves us from it. He saves us from torment. He takes the cross that we deserve and all the pain that goes along with it. And, and do you want to serve that kind of king? Yeah, I, I do. I want to serve a king who is willing to sacrifice for me for the betterment of him and for the betterment of me. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful relationship. We would all want bosses like that who are sacrificing not only for themselves, but for us. And in the musical uh, Les Miserables, there's a um, convict, and his name's uh, Jean Valjean. And uh, in this point of the story, Jean Valjean has been released from prison, and he's sleeping on the streets. And a bishop from the local church 
comes to him and says, Sir, come, please, come into my home for a night. And he, and he feeds and he clothes Jean Valjean. And when they go to bed in the middle of the night, Jean Valjean gets up and steals from the bishop. He steals a bunch of silverware and runs away. Later on in the night, the police catch him and bring him back in the morning to the bishop's house. And they say, Sir, this man, Jean Valjean, has stolen from you. And this is what the bishop does. Is he actually says, no, he, I gave him that silverware. And not only that, he, he went away so quickly, he forgot these. And he goes over and he takes some silver candlesticks off the table and hands them to Jean Valjean. And as the police go away, this is what the bishop says to Jean Valjean. You must use this precious silver to become an honest man. By the passion and the blood, God has raised you out of the darkness, and your soul has been saved for him. We see the bishop being a representation of God. That he takes Jean Valjean's failure and actually surrenders more so that Jean Valjean may go free. And he then calls Jean Valjean to be a servant of the Lord. Not because he owes anything, not because there's a debt to be paid, but because he's been set free. He no longer has to be a criminal going from crime to crime to crime, but instead he gets to serve the Lord out of love and graciousness because the bishop who had a position of authority over Jean Valjean sacrificed it so that Jean Valjean may go free. And this is the same with us. Jesus has a position of authority over us, and he sacrificed his life for us so that we may go free. So if we're able to admit that we have a sinful desire to be rulers of this life, to be rulers over others, and we can turn away from it, we can confess that sin, and then we're able to look to Jesus to be the greatest ruler in our lives, then we can finally submit to him and the title that he gives. And that title is the one of servant. Now, in the third part of this passage, if you go back to Blind Bartimaeus, uh, we see the title of servant is one that we typically don't want to take on. If we think about servant in, uh, in this day and age and in this life, it's, it's a title that it seems like, oh, I don't want to be a servant. But we're actually going to see through Bartimaeus' story how uh, freeing it can be. So Bartimaeus recognizes his weakness, recognizes Jesus as the greatest ruler, and goes to become Jesus' servant. So blind Bartimaeus is sitting on the road begging, and when he heard Jesus was coming, what did he shout? Have mercy on me. And the people tell him, be quiet, be quiet. And he shouts the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Do we see what's happening? Bartimaeus recognizes his position immediately. He recognizes his weakness. He recognizes that he's a nobody. And he cries out to the greatest ruler of all time, have mercy on me. He shouts to the, for the audience of a ruler, not from a position of strength, but a position of weakness. I need your mercy. And we then see Jesus call Bartimaeus. And when he comes in front of Jesus, what does Jesus say? What do you want me to do for you? Do we recognize the same question was asked of James and John? What do you want me to do for you? And Bartimaeus says, I want to see. And Jesus says, your faith has healed you. See, James and John, Jesus knew their heart motivation was power. Jesus looks at Bartimaeus and sees he wants mercy. And he looks to Jesus as his ruler 
And James and John recognized that their faith was in their ability to rule. Bartimaeus' faith was in the greatest ruler of all time. And after he's healed, what does Bartimaeus do? He follows Jesus. He doesn't, he doesn't use the sight for his own glory. He doesn't go from there and go, all right, now I can see and now I can probably have a job and I can have a place in the society. Instead, he follows the one who healed him, Jesus Christ. And he begins the process to grow more and more into a servant of the greatest ruler of all time. Now, it's tempting for us to say, all right, now go be like Bartimaeus. Go, you know, just be a servant. Go be a servant and you'll be good. But the point that Mark's making here is not just to be a servant on your own strength, because eventually we'll get back into that temptation of saying, I don't deserve to serve this person. If anyone's going to serve anyone in this relationship, it should be you, the one I'm serving. But actually, we need to go to Jesus daily and cry out for mercy, recognizing our position. Jesus, have mercy on me. The only way that we're going to be able to take the title of servant, the only way that we're going to be able to serve others, especially when our heart tendency is to want to become rulers, is to go to God daily asking for mercy, confessing our sins, and saying, I want to be a servant of the greatest ruler of all time instead of trying to be our own rulers. And let me give you an example. Um, how, how well do you handle criticism? Someone says you did something wrong. How do you react? No, I, I didn't do anything wrong. Or maybe it was a mistake. It was just an accident. I didn't mean to do that. And we get defensive. Why do we get so defensive? Because we're defending titles. We're defending rulers. We're saying, I, I need to protect my image. But if our image is one sort of like Bartimaeus of, Jesus, have mercy on me. I, I need mercy. I am a servant of the Lord. Then guess what? When, when a criticism comes, then we get to point to the ruler and say, God will protect me. God will defend me because it's not about me. It's about Jesus. My life is a servitude to Jesus. And we can confess sin more quickly then because it's not about me defending my kingdom, but it's actually me going back to the king and saying, I'm sorry that I failed you. It's not about failure in our own lives. It's not about me failing myself or failing my image, but instead it's failing God. And if we know that our position is one of servants, of one of needing mercy, then we can go to God very quickly and say, I need your mercy yet again. I need your mercy daily. So let me encourage you that it's not a one-time act. It's not something where we go to God once and say, okay, I want you to be my ruler and I'm a servant. It's actually a daily act. A daily one where we wake up, we, we read God's Word, we pray, we enter into fellowship with other believers and recognize, I am just a servant to the greatest ruler of all time, Jesus Christ. And what's cool about this passage is that uh, Jesus actually, if you go back to verse 32, Jesus is predicting his death a third time in Mark. And not only that, if you look at James and John and look just a chapter before, um, you see the disciples arguing who was the greatest in chapter 9. And now, once again, James and John are doing the same thing again. I'm the greatest. And this is definitely not the first person that Jesus has healed because of their faith. So what's beautiful about this is the repetition that we get to go back to God daily, and God responds to us, I love you. I love you. You get to be in my kingdom. You get to be a servant in my kingdom, and I will protect 
and watch over you, have mercy on you, and when you fail, I will fulfill your duties. That's a beautiful relationship. We say I love you over and over again to the ones we love because we know it's not a one-time act. And this is the same with our relationship with God. Let us go to Him daily, continuing to say, I need your mercy, and His response will be, mercy has been granted, I love you. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the ability to come to you and, and cry out for mercy. The fact that we can um, stand before your presence admitting that we are failures, that at times we try to be rulers, um, that we, we put ourselves in positions of authority over other people. We pray that daily we can come to you asking for mercy and your response will continue to be one of grace, one in which you have said it is done, it is finished, it has been completed on the cross. And we thank you for that fact. We thank you for that reality that we can cry out for mercy and that you show us love. In your name, amen.